Have you ever looked at someone thriving in their business and wondered, how did they do it? Have you ever thought that you can't have mental health and success? Have you doubted your own ability to create a financially thriving career that still has your well-being at the forefront? Well, welcome to the Boardroom Brain Podcast, where we tackle those very questions. I'm Dr. Lauren Cook, and I'm a clinical psychologist and speaker that takes you behind the business and inside the minds of today's most successful and personally thriving leaders. We're taking a look at our guests' secrets to success, how they bounce back when they've been knocked down, and what advice they have for you. Oh, and I've got another motive too. As a clinician and company consultant who frequently sees employees struggling mentally and knocking on the door of burnout, I'm invested in having conversations about how we can bring more wellness into company culture. I wanna make sure that everyone has the absolute best work experience that we all can have. And I believe that includes making sure our businesses are invested in their employees as people, not just as time card stampers and payroll lists. So get excited to listen, learn, and leverage your own leadership skills. These conversations will help you tap into your own bravery while helping you reprioritize your sense of well-being, both at work and when you're off the clock. So step inside the conference room with me and welcome to the boardroom. Your brain is about to get a major bonus. Hello, everyone. Welcome so much today to the Boardroom Brain Podcast. I cannot wait for you to hear our incredible guests that we have joining us today. Let me introduce you to Mark H. Goldberg. He serves as the Director of Global Health and Wellbeing at Latham & Watkins, one of the world's global elite law firms, overseeing strategy and implementation across the U.S., Europe, the Middle East, and Asia for Live Well Latham, the firm's global wellness program. Mr. Goldberg has spent over 21 years in the multinational legal sector, starting his career as a Latham attorney, focusing on commercial litigation and antitrust matters, and later transitioning into a full-time management role, running the firm's internal communications function. In 2009, he was part of a core group that set out to build Latham's first global wellness initiative, which quickly evolved into its comprehensive health and well-being program. In 2013, Mr. Goldberg assumed full-time management of Live Well Latham, expanding and focusing the program on resilience and mental health, diabetes prevention, and musculoskeletal issues, among other areas. A graduate of Cornell University and NYU Law School, Mr. Goldberg has been awarded numerous distinctions related to internal communications, employee relations, and health and wellness programming. He began his career as a high school teacher in Japan, and in his free time, he works on projects as a first-time playwright and novelist. Mark, it's so good to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me, Lauren. And uh, if there's any publishers in the audience, I want to stress that last part about the uh, novelist part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have to talk more about that. I just signed on with the literary agent myself, and it is a whole process. So I'm excited <laughs> to see your works get published someday. Maybe they already are. Uh, not yet, but uh, maybe someday you'll have me back to talk about my my new book. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. Awesome. Well, we have so much to talk about today. You've been a key part of developing the Live Well Latham program. Tell us about the impetus of the program and its areas of focus. Sure. Uh, well, you know, as you mentioned in uh, in your intro, we started conceiving of this program quite a while ago. I mean, I think it was 
as as far back as 2009, 2009 or so. And, uh, you know, all along, it's really been about engagement, about engaging people in their health, you know, providing best in class resources and opportunities to to do that, to get involved in their health. Um, you know, back in 2009, um, you mentioned in the intro, I was in an internal communications role at the firm. So actually our benefits, uh, now our benefits and well-being department uh, at the time came to me to ask for some help in drafting a white paper to go to our executive committee to propose a, a well-being program and kind of set out all the you know, arguments for it and you know, all the reasons why we should be getting involved in people's health. And, you know, back in 2009, this wasn't kind of the, the topic du jour. It wasn't, most companies weren't focused on this. Mm. Um, so, you know, we were a little hesitant at first. Are people going to want us involved in their, in their health? But um, actually, it was an easy sell, both to firm management and to folks at the firm. Um, and in fact, if there's been really one significant key to our success, it's that our leadership has just right from the beginning recognized that, this was the right thing to do, um, you know, to, to focus on well-being, you know, anything that we can do to support our people. So, you know, we got the support of our leadership. Um, you know, we started kind of a, a little slow in, um, you know, doing some, some uh, well-being related projects some some health related, um, you know, tips on our intranet, things like that. And folks really took to it. Folks really seemed to appreciate it and, and respond well to it. And, you know, we use that as a, an opportunity to really build our platform. I think we, we officially launched our Live Well Latham uh, Global Wellbeing Program. I think, you know, in the U.S., maybe it was 2010 and externally in uh, Europe, Middle East and Asia, 2011, maybe 2011, 2012. I might be a year off there, but, uh, you know, it's been around for, for well over a decade. And uh, it's been fun to really see it evolve over time. Yeah, and I, I've seen that too. I mean, I just heard you speak at a panel with the IWILL conference, and uh, that's the Institute for Wellbeing in the Law for people who are listening in and wondering, what does that acronym mean? Uh, and Latham has really been such a leader in this, not only in the legal industry, but I, I, I see it transitioning across all industries where, you know, just as we're seeing companies really integrate diversity, equity, inclusion work, they're also integrating mental health, wellness, physical wellness. Uh, we're looking at the whole person, right? And not just their work as an employee. Right. I'm curious how you've seen the program evolve over time. Yeah, you know, when we first started out, and again, you know, back in 2009, 2010, 2011, we probably had more of a focus around things like nutrition and fitness, um, we, we actually launched um, our firm-wide physical activity competition. We call it the Spring Challenge. Yeah. Um, we're now in our, in our 13th year. So it, it's been a while. And, you know, we give out free Fitbits to everyone. And, you know, the offices compete against each other to see, you know, who can, uh, who can generate the most physical activity. And, you know, it's a fun competition. We've got uh, long ago, we bronzed uh, one of our associate sneakers. And we made this, you know, fun trophy, the bronze sneaker. Um, but, you know, this, this literally somebody's old running shoes, uh, offices like buy for and compete for. And uh, for our 10th anniversary uh, a couple of years ago, we actually created a new bronze sneaker. We had a contest to see whose sneaker should we bronze this time. And it was a secretary in our Chicago office who, uh, who wrote to us that the spring challenge was the first time she ever started running 
And now she's done like umpteen marathons. And we said, well, great. You deserve a new pair of sneakers. Give us your old ones. We'll buy you a new one. And so our new bronze sneaker, now a couple of years old, is, a, is a, our second one. Um, oh, my goodness. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. But, um, but you know, again, I, I, I think when we first started in this space, it was a lot about movement, a lot about um, nutrition, a lot on ergonomics. Yeah. Um, we're, we're lawyers and people who support lawyers. So it's a very kind of desk-based population. Uh, so we want to make sure that, you know, ergonomically people were, were healthy and safe. Um, and then I think over time, it's really the program has evolved to, to add on, you know, evidence, evidence-based programming um, in a number of other areas. Um, and, you know, currently our focus is, is very heavily on mental health, on resilience, on medical resources, as well as, you know, ergonomics and the rest, um, financial well-being, um, you know, cancer care, diabetes prevention, any number of areas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm really proud that it has over time evolved into this truly comprehensive platform. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's also allowed us to be very nimble in terms of responding to, you know, what's come up. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think also our our approach is we kind of, we, we work with top experts around the world, you know, whether they're doctors or medical institutions or psychologists, whatever. And, you know, we, we kind of have a handful that we tend to go back to over and over and develop these deep, deep relationships so that not only can we create resources that are very customized, but, you know, also they really get to know us, get to know the firm, get to know lawyers, which, you know, I say this as a lawyer, we're a very unique bunch. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's, it's nice working with people who, you know, really understand the context and the environment and the people. And again, I think that allows us to be nimble and to continue to create programs. And, um, you know, we're still we're still on this journey. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I like to think we get a little bit better every day. I think you are, you know, as as a clinical psychologist myself from watching my husband and I have been together almost 13 years now, and from dating an undergrad, watching him go all the way through law school, starting working at a firm. That's uh, a journey, right? (laughs) It's a journey. journey. And so it's definitely a passion point of mine to help attorneys in the legal community and and the legal community in general, because, you know, it, it, it's a challenging profession sometimes, right? You all do incredible work, but it's also high stress. And so the fact that Latham is openly declaring, we want to give these resources for people, we care about this, that says a lot, especially, you know, from the top, right? I, I think that really sends a very powerful message. And I'm curious about this, you know, you've been in the well-being space for a long time, Latham has. But I'm noticing more and more, you know, people in the legal profession, they're focusing on this as well. I'm curious what you think has changed in that regard. Yeah, good question. I mean, I I think there was kind of a watershed moment, you know, a number of years ago uh, around mental health in the legal profession. And, you know, I'll tell you, when we first started, I said, you know, we focused a lot more on, you know, physical activity and, and, and ergonomics and things like that. You know, back then, people didn't want to talk about mental health in the workplace, right? Especially lawyers, right? Everybody was, you know, super sensitive to it. I'm okay. Everything's fine. Um, And we had to kind of sneak it in a little bit. You know, we did resilience programming and mindfulness, the stuff that was like mental health, but it was a little bit around the edges. And I think wasn't, you know, folks were more open to that than things that were kind of hardcore mental health. But, you know, around... 2016, 2017, 
two big things happened that impacted the legal industry. Um, you know, one, there was a study um, done, uh, it was in conjunction with the ABA and uh, Hazleton Betty Ford Foundation. Mm-hmm. That was um, the first of its kind study on lawyers and mental health and substance abuse. And it was really a landmark study that, you know, gave the first national data just on lawyers and behavioral health issues. Um, And then there was a report published, you know, the following year or maybe a year and a half later by the National Task Force on Lawyer Wellbeing, which had stemmed from this ABA group. So when, you know, the study was done and the report came out, I think it really gave a lot of people the opportunity to just pause and say, wow, you know, the, these numbers, this data that show that lawyers are way more at risk for mental health issues and substance misuse and all of that was really kind of a wake up call to the industry. Yeah. Um, you know, I think people had kind of known for a while that lawyers, you know, seemed more predisposed for all of this, but to have, you know, this seminal study with hard data from Hazleton Betty Ford was really um, one of those watershed moments for the industry. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think the other thing that happened, which was probably as if not even more significant, was there was an article in the summer of 2017 in the New York Times. I think it was called The Lawyer, The Addict. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was about a partner at, you know, one of the big, you know, major law firms. Uh, I think it was like an intellectual property attorney who overdosed Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a feature article in the Times that really looked at the story behind it and the mental health issues that he had been struggling with for years and kind of the signs that, you know, had been there and his ex-wife and, you know, his family were, were very involved in the article and, you know, really took a hard look at, at a very stark example of, of, you know, one person's journey. And I think, you know, that combined with the, uh, the Hazleton Betty Ford study was just, was like a one-two whammy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that article got passed around the legal industry, like, like hot fire. I don't know if you and your husband saw it at the time or. Well, yeah, well, and maybe it's a different article too, but I'm thinking about, you know, the situation that happened here in LA with the attorney who took his life uh, in the parking lot of his firm office. Yeah, and his that was another one, yeah. I posted that article Big Law Killed My Husband. I, I believe that was the title of the article. That was another one. Yeah, it was soon after. Yeah. Yeah. And as a, as a spouse, I was like, oh, man, that was a, a wake up call for me, too, of, OK, all hands on deck. We got to do something about this. And even the fact that you talk about it, I think, is is so paramount. Right. Because even something like suicide overdose, I think that's something that so many people shy away from talking about. And yet it's a it's a real part of our society, right? And when yeah. we turn away from these conversations, that's how the stigma continues to manifest. So the fact that you're talking about these things openly, that's how we're gonna actually break through the stigma and actually help the legal community get help. So that means a lot yeah. to speak to that. No, absolutely. And I think what those two articles along with the, the study in the National Task Force did, it was it, it gave people almost this permission to talk about it. And, you know, I had mentioned that before then, you know, we had done some stuff on mental health, more around resilience and mindfulness. And, you know, as a way to kind of tiptoe around the things that were, people weren't quite ready for. And then it was almost overnight, you know, people were ready to talk about this. And, you know, I think we were fortunate that we had been in this space a while and were able to kind of very quickly pivot 
and, um, you know, bring a lot of resources to bear. And, you know, folks who, you know, we were trying to get their attention on this, just, you know, lawyers in, in, in the industry were, were suddenly very attuned to it and allowed us to go very deep on uh, mental health uh, issues and resources and, and, and all of that. And we've really just kind of ran with it from there. Yeah, yeah, I, I see that. Absolutely. And, you know, let's talk about the LiveWell Center, too, because I think that takes it beyond just psychoeducation, just talking about you're actually giving people tangible resources. And, you know, I know the one launched in L.A. in 2019. You've since launched another one in New York. I'm curious how people have responded to it, how they're using services. Yeah. So, you know, the LiveWell Center is, you know, our name for our on-site clinics. And um, we worked uh, to open our first one in late 2019 uh, in our Los Angeles office. Uh, it's run by Johns Hopkins. And it really is a, you know, almost a full service clinic, right? We've got a full-time nurse practitioner. Uh, we've got two part-time physical therapists. We've got two part-time mental health counselors. Uh, we opened one in our new New York office uh, last year. And, uh, you know, both in LA and New York, they've really, really taken off. Um, you know, I think folks appreciate, you know, that it's there as a resource, not only for their physical well-being, but their mental well-being. Um, you know, and like I said before, our program is all about engagement, right? It's about giving people resources and opportunities to engage in their health. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the fact that they can go and, and make an appointment and get, you know, blood taken or talk about chronic diseases or get physical therapy. You know, I can't tell you how many people have said, oh, you mean that physical therapy prescription that's been on my desk for like four weeks that I haven't had a chance to even think about? I could just go downstairs and, and you know, have someone work on my foot or my back or my neck or whatever it is was amazing. And, you know, our, our well-being counselors, our mental health counselors, you know, it's also an opportunity for them to be more accessible, I think, for, for folks who are, you know, more hesitant about getting involved in this. It's a chance for them to really become part of the Latham community, mm -hmm. right? Um, whether they're giving presentations or whether they're popping in for five minutes to a department meeting or a monthly secretary's lunch or something to introduce themselves, you know, to become a known name and face and, and a little less scary, I think has been a great way for people to engage, um, you know, and I'll tell you, we, we have a, um, a program that we call Care Connect, and it's our, our global, you know, 24-7 coaching and counseling program. And, you know, it, it's fantastic. Um, and, you know, you can actually reach Care Connect from Latham speed dial on any Latham phone anywhere in the world. It's like pound three, four, five. Um, and our, our well-being counselors are actually through Care Connect. So, you know, they've got the whole power of that behind them. But what we found is that, you know, as great as Care Connect is, there are still people who, you know, it's intimidating. You don't know who's on the other end of the phone, you know, you know, thinking about counseling or coaching. If you've never done it before, it's a little scary, right? But, but being able to have people who are kind of dedicated to offices or, or regions and, you know, now even for offices that don't have clinics, we've started this model of, you know, direct Care Connect support where maybe we have someone who, even if there's not a clinic, they come into the office, you know, once or twice a week um, or do things virtually. You know, we've got that in Asia. We just launched it in the UK. We're working on it in Germany. And I think connecting a name and face, right, instead of just like call a counselor, it's like, oh, well, here's Simon. Here's Janice, right? Here's Rebecca. 
Um, wow, she doesn't look so scary. Like I can talk to her. I mean, we've seen a lot of success with that. And I think a lot more people are, are more comfortable using the resources. I think that is so great that you're doing that, that you're really humanizing who therapists are. You know, that's something I'm really passionate about as a provider is showing, yes, we're real human beings, what happens behind the therapy door. And I think what you're really doing there, you're helping decrease the stigma in that way, right? It's, it's interesting, the research says that that interpersonal stigma is going down, right? More people are willing to say, yes, I'm all for, you know, my coworker, my friend, my family member getting therapy or getting treatment. But there's still that inter intrapersonal stigma, right? Of like, mm, but I'm good. <laughs> I don't know. Right, it's not for me. It's great for everyone else, but <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, it's funny because half of my job is you know building the programs and overseeing them and running them, but the other half, honestly, is is, is selling them, right? Mm -hmm. Is just talking about them and destigmatizing and saying, well, let me tell you about my experience when I called Care Connect. The first time I called, this is what happened. Second time I called, this is what happened. And, you know, even just how we position things makes a difference. Like, I'll give you an example. We, um, last fall for World Mental Health Day, we offered a series of 20-minute sessions with well-being counselors, right? All of our well-being counselors, like from the Live Well Centers, from our Care Connect dedicated support. So folks, you know, it was about uh, eight, eight different counselors who had worked with Latham, right? So they know our people, they know the, the, the context. And we said, you know what? Your, your car needs to tune up every now and then, your piano needs to tune up, your bike needs to tune up, your body and your mind need to tune up. And your body, you know, we encourage you to go get your annual physical, but for your mind, give your mind a tune up, right? Nothing has to be wrong, just a tune up. So we pitched these, you know, 20 minute mental health tune ups. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we announced it at World Mental Health Day and I'll tell you, we, we had a whole schedule that sold out in the first four hours. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and it was a great problem to have. You know, I was on the phone. I'm like, we need, we need more, we need more time slots, quick. Um, and, and it was fantastic. And you know, it was a lot of people that you know we wouldn't traditionally see mm -hmm. getting involved or taking advantage of these resources. So just the fact, I think that we kind of positioned it as like, look, you don't have to be in crisis. Nothing has to be wrong. Like, just get a tune up. I think a lot of people stopped and were like, oh yeah, why wouldn't I do that? Exactly. Check up from the neck up, right? So yeah, perfect. I'm going to steal that. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. And I want to hear about your journey too, because you started out as a litigator and you eventually, I mean, now went on to develop Latham's, you know, first global wellness initiative. I'm curious what led to that transition for yourself. Yeah. Well, you know, so I, again, yeah, I started out as a litigator and then, uh, you know, about five years in, I, um, I got really interested in the management of the firm. Latham is great in that, you know, it affords associates the opportunity to get involved in, in management and firm committees and all that. And, you know, as much fun as I was having being a lawyer, I kind of liked my committee work and like, you know, building programs and all of that. So, you know, I ended up transitioning to the management side and did internal communications mm -hmm. and, you know, I ended up kind of acting like an internal consultant almost on communications issues for all different constituencies within the firm, right? The pro bono committee and diversity and associates committee and, and whatnot. And, you know, I mentioned our, our benefits group came to me, you know, asking for help um, with this white paper to, to propose a, a well-being program. And once it got off the ground, uh, you know, I, I helped them come up with the branding and, and launching and, and, you know, really found out it was something I was very interested in. And, you know, I think the folks who, who even came to me early on 
to ask for my help, we're savvy enough to know that half of it is building this, the, you know, the, the program and half of it is communicating it, right? It's not field of dreams where like, if you build it, it will come and everybody will suddenly take advantage of all these engagement opportunities. We spend a lot of time, you know, talking to people, presenting, like getting out there. And, you know, if you tell someone the message 20 times, you know, maybe that 20th time is when they're actually in need of it or actually ready to hear it or actually, you know, taking a break from whatever they're doing and can digest it. Um, and I think that's so important for, for well-being. So it's funny, I've taken kind of a circuitous path here, but I think all my experiences have kind of helped me, you know, bring skills to the table that are essential to, to you know, um, working with a well-being program. Absolutely. I think you're planting some really powerful seeds that may take some time to come to fruition sometimes, but they absolutely will grow into something. And that, that happens all the time where I'll have someone say, I heard you speak five years ago. I've kept in touch. Now I'm ready to start therapy, you know? So exactly. you know when someone's going to come back around. Yeah. Let's talk about with the pandemic, you know, that's obviously shifted mental health, not just in the legal community, but in every workspace. I'm curious how, you know, you've seen well-being shift during the pandemic, you know, in the legal community specifically, and how you've seen LiveWell Latham Services adjust to meet those needs. Yeah, you know, like I said, we, our, our model is to kind of work with a, a small group of, you know, really top-notch providers and go deep with them. And I think because we had relationships established, you know, on that level, when the pandemic happened, you know, the world changed overnight, we were able to really kind of use that foundation to be very nimble and, you know, create new resources. Um, you know, we had just worked with Johns Hopkins to open our first on-site clinic. And suddenly Johns Hopkins was at the, you know, the epicenter of tracking COVID around the world, right? So they, they became a, um, you know, a really important advisor to the firm on the pandemic, uh, you know, both to our management and, you know, some of our, our plans and policies. And also even just on the front lines, you know, we did a number of presentations with um, the head of their infectious disease unit, right? To, to bring to our folks, like, here are people, you know, who can clarify, you know, some of the, uh, you know, information out there on, on vaccines and on, on, on all this stuff, which was super helpful. Um, you know, a lot of the things that I think we had been really focused on doing in person obviously went remote. You know, we, we did a lot of, um, of webinars and programs over Zoom, which in a way was really good because it gave us far greater reach yeah. and let us bring in a greater diversity of, you know, presenters and programs and resources um, in unique ways. I mean, you know, we started a, a webinar series, you know, everything from, um, you know, stress management to, you know, working from home and managing kids and, uh, you know, to, to any number of issues. Um, there was a psychologist that we work with a lot, Dr. Judith Sucker of uh, Wild Cornell, New York Presbyterian. And we had done a number of programs with her. And when the pandemic happened, maybe, you know, a month in, I called her up and I said, all right, Dr. Sucre, this is going to sound a little crazy, but what do you think of doing a podcast with me? And, uh, you know, luckily she didn't say, have you ever done a podcast? Because the answer would have been no. But, uh, you know, we did, you know, I said, everybody, you know, is really focused on mental health, but it's overwhelming, you know, all the stuff you see in the news and it's heavy. Like, I want to do something that's light and fun, but addresses serious issues, but in maybe a little more lighthearted ways. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we ended up doing every other week 
a podcast for, you know, months and months and months in the pandemic where we would talk about, you know, everything from very serious issues to, you know, why you remember at the beginning, there were all those videos of the Italians, like singing from their balcony during lockdown, right? And like, what is it about a community that makes us feel better? So, you know, it, it gave us the opportunity to really try some unique things. Um, you know, even my gym went remote and created, you know, some live remote classes that we eventually brought them into Latham and we created this Latham homebody class where eventually we were running like 20 fitness classes a week that were live at all different times all over the world. So, you know, you'd log on and you'd be working out with people from like Tokyo and Paris and San Francisco. And, you know, it was all live and, you know, you do a name game at the beginning and really get to know your colleagues in a, in a very different way while also kind of helping your sanity a little bit when we were locked down. So, you know, in this, in this funny sort of way, the pandemic, I think, gave us a way to utilize our platform and our, our contacts and our, our partners, um, you know, not, not law firm partners, but our, our partners in the, the well-being community uh, in some very creative ways that I think the feedback we got is folks found it very helpful and, and, and um, really that it spoke to the times. Yeah, oh, I love that ability to shift that that flexibility, and we'll be sure and include that that podcast link in our show notes too. Oh, so it was actually it was a firm firm only podcast. Yeah, invite yeah. only. Sorry, friends. There, there yeah, yeah. It was to be honest, it was kind of just a fancy conference call, but it was, <laughs> it was a podcast format. And and funny enough, folks would IM me, would instant message me during, so we would like incorporate you know comments from from callers. <laughs> so. I love it. I love it. Live show. Yeah. There you go. Well, yeah. you know, I want to talk to you about people who are interested in entering the legal community. You know, there may be listeners here today who are curious about, you know, entering the legal space. My specialty is working with millennials and Gen Z who are, you know, entering the workforce and new in the workforce. I'm curious, you know, sometimes you hear people be a little bit skeptical about entering the legal space, you know, hearing that it's an, a stressful environment. I'm curious what you would say to those folks who are interested, but maybe a little cautious and leery. Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, you know, I, my refrain is always to you know focus on self care, right, and and to remember that. And and it's interesting because you know on occasion I talk to to law students. And, you know, what I always say is, you know, we're having this great dialogue and you guys are asking terrific questions and are obviously very focused on it. But two years from now, some percentage of you are going to be at my firm and I'm going to be waving my arms and shooting off, you know, fireworks to get your attention, to remind you how important this all is. And, you know, through no fault of your own, like you just, you, when you enter the legal profession, you get a little swept away, right? You're still figuring out how to be a good lawyer and, and, and you're focused on your clients and the deal and the case. And you kind of forget all those things that we, we knew not that long ago about how important it is to take care of ourselves. So, I mean, that's what I would say to, to people who are a little hesitant, like, like, great, use that as a way to remember, you know, what you're hesitant about. And, you know, self-care doesn't necessarily mean you have to get to the gym for an hour and a half every day, right? There are different ways to, even when you're a super, super busy attorney, to incorporate well-being into your schedule and to remember that and to be creative about it. And, you know, uh, 
you know, if I can go out for a run, I'm, I'm thrilled. If I can, you know, read my book, I'm thrilled. If I can just read a chapter of my trashy romance novel for like seven minutes before I get on a conference call, that works. And sometimes I, I have this right here, my little like, um, it's like an aromatherapy sniff, oh, yes. you know, even like the five seconds it takes to just unscrew this, take a sniff and like remind myself like, yeah, just do something you enjoy really quickly. You know, there are a lot of ways to incorporate self-care into your routine. And, you know, again, I think we all know that, but for some reason, when you go to law school and you graduate and you start working, you forget all that. <laughs> so when I think that's what I would say. Yeah. And that it's safe to do that, right? Because I think sometimes people worry like, are there repercussions if I make time for self-care, you know, and the fact that you're openly advocating, like we want you to integrate your wellness and make self-care a priority. I think that really, in a way, gives people the permission that, okay, it's safe to do this. Um, let's talk about what you love about your job. I mean, I, I hear the passion exuding from you as you talk about it. Um, tell me what you love about this work that you're doing and also what, what gives you heart when it does get hard. Yeah, I mean, I love my job. I have the best job in the world. <laughs> um, and, you know, I literally get paid to help people. I mean, you know, there's nothing better than the feeling that you have helped someone. And, you know, it's funny, our, our, our motto, you know, on the Latham Wellbeing team is you get people one person at a time, right? Um, you know, it's not about bringing some famous speaker in and, and having a thousand people attend a, a presentation, right? It's, it's about, you know, offering a lot of resources so that when people need them and they're ready for them, they're there. And that, again, that happens one person at a time, whether it's a person who finally, you know, took that physical therapy prescription and, you know, went to our clinic or someone who did a session with one of our Care Connect counselors or came to a resilience presentation and left with like one takeaway that they're incorporating into their day or or whatever, you know, to somebody who, you know, has cancer or a family member with cancer and is suddenly, you know, we've had people who, you know, we hook them up with resources that literally change the course of their treatment. And, uh, you know, there are big wins and little wins and they're all important. And, you know, I think that's what, I think you said something like what kind of keeps you going. Um, you know, it's, it's all those wins. And again, sometimes they're huge, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're unexpected. And, you know, when I talk at conferences, often one of the topics that people like to ask about is, well, how do you measure all this? And, and you can't, right? <laughs> you know, there's no formula of, well, we did this and this was a good outcome and therefore it justifies the cost. You know, we do it because it's the right thing to do. And, you know, I'm lucky to be at a firm where management recognizes that. And, you know, I'll never forget early on when we, um, one of the resilience programs that we did um, with uh, Dr. Ahmed Sood from Mayo Clinic, who is like brilliant and one of the nicest people you could ever meet. We, we took his Mayo Clinic resilience program and he customized it for us. And we did it live in all of our, our US offices a number of years ago. And there was an associate who came up to us afterwards and said, just so you know, and it was like, a, a, I think at that point it was a 10 week program. It was like, there were a lot of different aspects to it. She said, just so you know, this program saved my marriage. Yeah, I still get chills when I say that, you know, so yes. <laughs> that, that wasn't, you know, in my, you know, to do list of like what I, I thought would come out of this program that that wasn't something I was expecting, but that was phenomenal, you know, 
Um, and when things get really rough, I remember that, you know, and, and there are, again, there are big wins and little wins, but to the extent that we can even just make it a little easier for people, um, I, I think that's, uh, it's very satisfying. Oh, completely. And, and there's a powerful message I hear in that too. Every person matters. It's not about a lump sum of data. Every single person matters and not just attorneys, right? Like the entire legal community, um, that's a part of Latham. So, wow, that is that gives me chills too. Um, <laughs> tell us what's coming down the pike. I can tell you've always got things you're thinking about coming up next. So what projects are you working on at Latham right now that you're excited about? Yeah, well, we are, um, we're right in the middle of uh, rolling out a mental health training for supervisors. Um, we're, we're almost done going through all the practice groups with the partners and counsel. We're going to create a, a senior associate version soon. That's really about how to have mental health conversations with people on your team, right? Like, how do you bring it up? What do you say? What do you not say? What if somebody actually responds and say they're struggling? Like, how do you respond? Um, what are the confidentiality issues? You know, things like that, that, you know, again, we've been rolling this out to partners and counsel for the past several months, and, and folks are just so grateful because it, it's out there. I mean, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. Like, people are people are struggling, um, and people want to talk, and, and people want to be supportive of each other. And, you know, often we just don't have the, you know, the words or, or, or know how to even broach this. So I think folks have been very, very grateful that we're just giving them some direction to do things that just as good people they want to do, um, but aren't sure quite how to do that. Um, so we're going to continue that and expand that. But the thing that I'm really, really excited about is we are uh, in the midst of, of creating a mental health allies program. Uh, yeah, this is going to be for everyone, attorney staff everywhere around the world, where, you know, folks who want to increase their literacy about mental health, and then also kind of be there as a resource for others. I mean, obviously, we're not, we're not going to train them to be counselors or coaches, right? It's not anything like that. But just to even have that conversation. And, you know, the like, how are you doing? You know, really, how are you doing? And then know what to do with that response, right? Be able to kind of signpost and point people towards resources. You know, I think there are a lot of people who are interested in this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if we can create this cadre of allies out there who could just be there for each other and point them in the direction of resources that are going to help them, I mean, that's going to be the game changer. So we're, we're you know, trying to put it together now in the next couple of months. So that's I'm super excited about that one. I cannot wait to hear how that goes. I think that's going to be transformational to know, yes, I can talk to you. We can have this collaborative relationship because we know people stay at companies. People want to come to, come to companies where they feel like they are seen as human beings, right? And not just as an employee. And so the fact that you are building these relationships with people truly showing that they care about other people, that's pretty profound. Uh, that's going to be transformative. Oh, very exciting. Wow. Yeah, it's exciting. That's great, Mark. Well, tell, I, I want to wrap up our call in just a moment here, but I think people need to hear, you know, especially with the incredible work you're doing, what's something you do on a regular basis for yourself to, to foster your own well-being? Good question. Um, I feel like I should have some really like erudite answer but um like in, in a very practical sense it's just finding time for self-care you know whether it's um 
the little, the silly little tune blast game that I play on my phone that like, you know, if I ever just need to like put a smile on my face, like I just take five minutes and, and play that. Or, you know, I've got kind of my go-to songs on my phone that, you know, never cease to, you know, put a smile on my face. Um, you know, my writing makes me happy, my music, my trashy novels, um, <laughs> you know, all, all of that, just, just, just finding the, the time for myself. And again, some days it's, you know, a significant amount of time and some days it's just a little time, but, you know, I kind of have my mental list of here are things that make me happy. Here are things that make me smile. Here are the quick ones. Here are the other ones. And I always try and find time for, for at least one of them. Yes, yes. And I think that's, that's an important reminder, right, that it can be in little moments, right? It doesn't have to be something you take an hour even out of your day. But yeah, putting on a, a great playlist. Uh, I'm 30 years old, and I will swear by my Kenny G Pandora playlist. <laughs> There you go. Yeah. Kenny G yeah. in business. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, whatever it is that brings you a smile, even if it's for a few moments or if it's in the background, it's something yeah. like that. Well, and I'll tell you too the best investment that I've probably ever made in my life was that Bed Bath and Beyond. I, I waited until I had one of those 20% off coupons and uh -huh. I got a foot and calf massager. And I also bought one of those chair top massagers that you just put on a chair and you lean yes. back and put your neck and back. So I have this whole little setup on, on a chair of like, I sit down and I can massage my neck and back and feeding calves at the same time. And it's all, I mean, you know, it wasn't like super expensive. I waited for the 20% off coupon. And, you know, I've got this like little massage station in my living room that, you know, again, was a great investment um, when I just want to chill. Yeah. <laughs> So they're they're good actually. They sometimes you wonder with those things are they actually legit? But it sounds like it's it's actually good at what it does. Oh my gosh, I I love it. I'm literally on my third one. I use it so much over the years that I've just I think I've worn them out. But you know it's it's a good it's a good thing, right? We're gonna see Bed Bath and Beyond stock spike the next. Yeah, day. There we go. <laughs> oh well, okay. One final question I have for you, and it's kind of a biggie. I ask all of my guests this. Where do you hope your legacy is going to be? Oh, that is a biggie. No <laughs> um, you know, honestly, if there are just people out there who can look back and be like, wow, this resource really helped me, um, you know, whether it's this nugget I got from a program or this doctor I connected with or this, you know, counselor that, you know, helped me. I mean, that, that, that's, that's a, a fantastic legacy, right? That, that you've affected somebody's life, even if it's just bringing them a resource or connecting them to something that was helpful. Mm, I agree. I agree. Well, you're, you're clearly doing that already. Um, and, and Mark, tell everybody where they can connect with you or learn more about the work Latham's doing. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm, I'm always happy to, to talk to people who are, uh, you know, interested in this. And, uh, you know, feel free to shoot me an email, uh, mark.goldberg at lw.com. And uh, I'm always happy to chat. Mark, it has been such a pleasure having you on the show today. I've learned so much. I know our listeners are going to learn so much. And, you know, as somebody who cares passionately about mental health, especially in the legal community, you are one of the leading forces that are doing this incredible work. So it's an honor to get to spend some time with you today and, and keep doing what you're doing. Don't stop. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm fortunate to work for a great firm and a great team that really cares about this. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of hardworking people at Latham making all this happen. So uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to share it with you.
Awesome. Thank you so much. Take good care, Mark. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning in for today's episode of the Boardroom Brain Podcast. Let's cultivate those networking skills starting today. Share this episode with someone who could benefit from listening and leave a comment and review to let me know what you think. Subscribe to get all the latest episodes and don't hesitate to tell me who you'd love to hear on the podcast. Don't forget that you're always welcome to watch the YouTube version of these episodes as well if you'd like to experience this conversation visually. I always welcome your feedback and I hope today's dialogue sparked your own insights. Here's to fostering those healthy brains both in the boardroom and beyond.